I know you're paying attention to global events as well as what's going on in our nation. War and increased conflict is bubbling up in more places. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now, and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. When you have health insurance, it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs. That can be a lot of money. But are your bills accurate? Well, it's estimated that over 50% of medical bills contain errors. HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. Hey, everyone. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. This is 24, a weekly highlight reel from the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show featuring all things election coverage. Let's get started. Here are Clay and Buck. Now, let's turn our attention here to... Uh, the the brazenness with which Gavin Newsom, uh, who Clay is Clay is saying he's a little disappointed in Gavin ever since uh, our friend Sean Hannity hosted that town hall and Ron DeSantis really cleaned his cleaned his clock. Wrecked Gavin him. Newsom's absolutely um, wrecked him, wrecked him, and uh, since then it's been not so great for Gavin. Here he is though. Th- this was amazing. He's out there doing his thing, telling everybody that Biden has a quote extraordinary record as president play it i think he's doing everything he needs to do i mean he's got an extraordinary record he's doing everything he needs to do on ukraine at the moment he's doing everything he needs to do uh to reconcile and wrestle some common sense as it relates to a bipartisan approach to address the issue of the border uh, where the republicans couldn't take yes for an answer he is leading but here's my point it's because of his age that he's been so successful so the opportunity to express that for four more years what a gift it is for the American people. And as a Democrat, what a gift for me to make the case for the leader of our party, Joe Biden. Clay, you almost have to respect it. Everyone <laughs> knows. Everyone knows Biden is too old and is in decline. And there's probably some dementia there. Who knows what stage it's in? Everybody knows this. And Gavin Newsom is out there saying Biden's a great president with an extraordinary record because of his age. This I, he gets the prize. I mean, I don't know what to say. The gaslighting has reached a level that is is truly astonishing. And, and you almost have to respect it. Joe, uh, I mean, uh, Gavin Newsom buck could see a 800 pound woman in a bikini and say that she looked amazing in it. And it was because of her weight that she looked so amazing in it. That That's basically the equivalent 
of what Gavin Newsom is arguing right now. You can say, and look, I disagree with the argument, but you can say Trump is going to be such an awful president that even Joe Biden in his diminished state is a better option than Donald Trump. Again, I disagree with that argument. That would be a somewhat fair version of why a Democrat should argue for Joe Biden to be selected. Joe Biden, because of his age, has an intellectual capacity that is unlike the other candidates and therefore is undiminished in any way and has to be the nominee is an embarrassing absurdity, much like the argument that an 800-pound woman in a bikini looks amazing because of her weight. It, I, I, On some level, this is Joe Scarborough, I don't even have a gag reflex-esque, that you just will argue anything to the point of just puking out absurdity. I'm, I'm just here to tell everybody that this is going to be what the Democrats are doing. This is actually the plan. I know that we all sit here and go, oh, my gosh. And so they're going to tell you that, that he's great. Here's the, the governor of Pennsylvania. This is cut three. Josh Shapiro. He's out there saying Biden is the nominee. And it's, it's great to be able to support such a strong nominee. Play three. Well, Joe Biden's going to be our nominee, and I'm proud to support him. I'm proud to get out there and talk about his record of achievement and make sure I prosecute the case against Donald Trump and show the clear contrast between the kind of chaos Donald Trump would bring and the way President Biden is there to protect our freedom and expand it. When folks come over to me and say nice things, look, I'm just glad they're paying attention to our work in Pennsylvania. The way we've cut taxes and at the same time invested historic amounts in public education and in public safety. The way we're growing our economy. I'm glad folks are taking note of what we're doing in Pennsylvania, and I'm proud to be out there supporting Joe Biden. Pennsylvania governor, proud to support Joe Biden, the great nominee for the party. I, we're going to have to take a lot of showers when we listen to this stuff between now and Election Day, Clay, but it's all—it's already starting. They are just going to lean in to the most absurd lies because they think it'll work. At least that one is, hey, he's on my team and I'm going to defend him. It's not quite as obsequious as what we just saw from Gavin I mean, Newsom. Gavin Newsom said he's basically a superstar because he's so old and has dementia. Yes. I mean, that's insane. Yes, and this is also, I would say in general, why so many people hate politicians, right? I mean, because if you were just an honest Democrat, I just saw where there's a video that's just now starting to circulate. They're having a competitive primary in Maryland to see whether or not, uh, see who's going to be the nominee for the Democrat Party. They're going to run against Larry Hogan, the former very popular Republican governor of Maryland, and one of those Democrat candidates was caught on tape saying, I wish Joe Biden was 10 years younger. That's a very legitimate perspective to have if you're a Democrat. If Gavin Newsom came out and said, I'm going to vote for Joe Biden because I think he's a better option than Trump, but I really wish he was 10 years younger. I would say, you know what? I don't agree with Gavin Newsom's perspective, but that's at least somewhat honest. I think most Americans will accept difference of opinion when they see you go over the top and there is no logical connection to it at all is when I think they rebel. And this is why I think, Buck, I think there's just a great deal of of distrust after COVID. I saw the data, the younger you are, 
the more likely you are to be unaffiliated unaffiliated with either political party. And I think it's because there's just that I would say the number one characterization in America right now, regardless of political party, is a lack of trust in institutions and people in positions of power. And I think that leads to Trump being popular with a lot of people out there that are not engaged on a day to day basis on the political process, but they just feel like everybody is so corrupt And at least Donald Trump is a rich enough guy that he's not trying to sell out to make more money. We've talked about on this show. I think it's important. Trump's the only person to run for president in our lives who's ended up with less money than he had before he ran for president. I mean, Bloomberg spent so much that he probably well, had less money. But, but he didn't, to win, it wasn't right to like to end up in a position oh, yeah, where yeah. you are the president. Like Clinton is filthy rich now. Barack Obama's filthy rich right now. I think George W. Bush is doing pretty well for himself. Um, Al Gore is really rich, never president, Al, but we should be we should be ashamed of that one. Just as a, as a country, as a culture, Al Gore. Al really Gore rich. is super filthy rich. Um, Hillary Clinton certainly has turned on the money spigot. Uh, again, Trump is the only person I can think of who yeah. will have been elected president and had made less money than he would have if he had never run for political office at all. I mean Nancy Pelosi is really rich, but you know, she's excellent impeccable at timing. Stocks. She's just she's just she's like just the Warren Buffett of really of, good. Of I mean, investing. who knew all this time Nancy Pelosi was better than pretty much every major hedge fund manager in the country who graduated, you know, from the top of their class at Wharton and worked on Wall Street for 20 years? Nancy Pelosi more insightful with her stock picking than them. It's remarkable. Nancy had this superpower tucked away all those what did nancy just make off nvidia uh which obviously has been on a tear with ai i think some staff looked this up they they shared her her if you look at nancy pelosi's historical stock picking profile and you compare it with the most astute investors in all of america nancy pelosi beats them it definitely would have been a smart move. I'm kind of well. I didn't. Really I wish she would tell me how anyways. she was going to trade I, in advance. I'll just start. I was going to say there picks. should be. You know how there there is something called the for Jim Cramer. You all know Jim Cramer from CNBC. Uh, there's a reverse Cramer fund or reverse index Kramer or whatever. Thing, yeah, where, index where you go opposite whatever Jim Cramer says buy you sell whatever he says sell you buy effectively. Um, I don't think it's actually done that well in recent years. To be fair to Cramer, but there is one. I, I would. I would mirror Nancy Pelosi's trades if I were somebody who was, uh, you know, out there and able to do it. Um, I would want to know what Nancy's going heavy on. I would do because too. I'd go heavy on it too. Because you know, somehow she went from. I know her husband is in business or something, and I wonder if he ever gets any interesting information from her. Uh, but she's worth uh, hundreds of millions of dollars now. I mean, she's in the like hundred, hundred fifty million plus category at this point, which is, uh, yeah. Nancy Pelosi, everybody. Oh, Clay, I did want to throw this in the mix before we uh, move move along here. Gavin Newsom, when asked, this is cut two, when asked about jumping into the presidential race, he's like, I just, I just, you know, it's a sideshow. He's not into it, folks. He's not into it. Play two. Have you gotten any calls, Governor, well, encouraging I mean, you to run? It's all idle chatter. It's all it's You know what? That's a sideshow. I think what Democrats need to do is worry less, do more, continue to overperform as we have, continue to win, make the case. Don't be ashamed of 4.1% GDP over the last two quarters. Don't be ashamed about the alliance management of the Biden-Harris administration. Don't be timid about right. making the case for the record of this administration. So you're ruling it out 100%. 100% I mean, I it's not even an interesting conversation. Not even an interesting conversation, he says, Clay. 
Hmm. I'll tell you my theory on this when we come back. That's called a tease. By the way, Nancy Pelosi's husband has made over $1.25 million in NVIDIA stock in the last three months with a, I believe he bought options in NVIDIA and has made $1.25 million in the last three months. That sounds nice. Yeah. Up, How many of you made $1.25 in the last three months? Not a, bad, not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young kids, builds specially adapted smart homes for severely injured veterans, and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades-in-arms, nor the efforts of his first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud Foundation donor. Tunnel of Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the Foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T, dot org. Meet Kelsey. When she found out she was pregnant, she wasn't sure where to turn. But after meeting with the counselors at a pre-born network clinic, they welcomed her and supported her and provided her with a free ultrasound. Kelsey heard her baby's heartbeat and she chose life. When a mother looks at her child through a sonogram, it does something to you. You know, I ended up deciding to keep my son, who is now five years old today. He's amazing. He brings absolute joy to my heart. I could not imagine life without him. By introducing a woman to her baby on an ultrasound, a baby's chance at life doubles. Your tax-deductible donation of $5,000 will sponsor Preborn's entire network for 24 hours, helping to rescue 200 babies. To donate, use your cell phone and dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 saying baby. Or donate securely at preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash B-U-C-K. Sponsored by Preborn. You're listening to 24, the year of impact with Clay and Buck. You're joined now by Tudor Dixon of the Tudor Dixon podcast, which is killing it. Uh, Tudor, let's dive right in. Michigan primary was yesterday. 
Buck and I have talked about it a great deal. What stood out to you as someone who knows the politics, knows the nuance of Michigan, of the data from the Republican and the Democrat primaries? What's the story? What should we be thinking basically eight months from Election Day? Well, on the Republican side, some key counties went big for Trump, and that was something that we didn't see in 2022. Macomb County came out big for Trump. We saw Oakland County coming out. They're split with Democrats and Republicans, but still big for Trump. It looks like a lot of those voters who didn't come out in 2022 are back. They're engaged. We had good numbers for a primary. But on the Democrat side, I think the most interesting thing that we saw was, of course, the uncommitted voters. We know that the uncommitted campaign was being put on by Rashida Tlaib and her sister. They were very actively telling people not to vote for Joe Biden. What I don't think that Gretchen Whitmer and Joe Biden anticipated was the impact that would have on college campuses. So that, to me, is very interesting. They've created this narrative on college campuses. And now how are they going to pull that back if they don't have something else to hook those young people in with? They may have a problem on college campuses in Michigan come November. Hey, Tudor Buck here. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Can you give us uh, something of a battlefield overview for how it looks going into uh, the 2024 election in Michigan when you are looking at things like uh, party party registration, early vote, turnout mechanisms. I mean, just give us a sense of how the teams stack up right now, GOP versus Democrat in Michigan at this point in time. Well, obviously, I mean, if you're listening, if you're paying attention at all to what's happening in Michigan, we have had some problems in our party here in the state of Michigan. Just yesterday, a judge actually ruled on that because we had a party chair who was overthrown by delegates, some delegates um, in January, and then the other delegates that were supporting that party chair said, no, she wasn't overthrown. This was an illegal meeting. Then the new the, the other side actually voted in a new chair. And so for for a while, we actually had two chairs. And it was very confusing because there is a caucus this weekend. So for people who also don't understand in Michigan, we normally have a primary, but this year we're having a primary and a caucus because the Democrats moved the primary up. The RNC agreed that we could have a primary, give out some delegates primary day. A caucus will have the rest of the delegates will be awarded to the presidential candidate. However, we were having one in in Detroit, and now the new chair is having one in Grand Rapids. So there was a concern, oh gosh, we're going to have half the delegates in Detroit, half of them in Grand Rapids. Yesterday, a judge ruled on that and said, no, the new chair stays, old chair has to give up control, has to give all the social media back. So that is obviously still a, a division in the state, still those those delegates that were supporting the old chair are unhappy. We need to bring our party back together. Democrats think they have an advantage there. They don't have that issue. They have an organized party. They have a good ground game. They have a lot of grassroots activists. They have good control on college campuses. They are definitely, at this point, organized well. Republicans will get there, though. Okay, so if you were predicting right now, um, do you think that if the election had been last yesterday— that Donald Trump would beat Joe Biden in Michigan? 
Yes, absolutely. And I, I think there are people out there right now who are saying, no, he, this, this Arab American vote in Michigan is not that important, but it absolutely is. In years past, they've been the ones that are like, this is what pushed us over and this is why we won. And there is truly a divide there. It's not to be taken lightly. It's not to be celebrated or, or not taken seriously. It is a true divide in the Democrat party. But like I said, that goes beyond just the Arab Americans in the state of Michigan. You now have this situation on university campuses. So Michigan State, University of Michigan, they don't know how to bring those voters back and they don't know how to control Rashida Tlaib because having Rashida Tlaib, who is a well-respected voice in the state of Michigan, in fact, there was a time when Gretchen Whitmer was out there campaigning with her and saying what an amazing person Rashida Tlaib is. Now she's got her speaking against her. This is a real problem for them because people will follow Rashida. I don't suspect that Rashida is going to suddenly be like, you know what, we're going to give this whole ceasefire thing up for the general. I think she's going to stick with it. I don't think Joe Biden can actually give in to the, the mob here and say he's going to throw away an ally in the Middle East, our only ally in the Middle East. He's not going to Hopefully, I wouldn't think that he would make the mistake of going against the policy with Israel right now. So it's a very sticky wicket for Democrats. And I think that is where Donald Trump has an advantage, but also with auto workers, because they've seen their jobs leaving. They hear Donald Trump coming in and saying, I'm going to bring your jobs back. They know it happened in 2016. If you talk to people, they'll tell you, we moved out of the state. When Donald Trump was elected, we moved back in our, and we thrived in the auto industry, but we're afraid because right now all of these policies that Joe Biden has and Gretchen Whitmer has are anti-automotive. They're, they're pro-EV. That's not the future for automotive. You see that Ford has already come out and said, eh, this is not really great for us. We've seen people across the state of Michigan, their cars are dying in the winter. This is not a good look. Even Sean Fain came out and said, he's the president of the UAW. We're going to take our members' money and endorse Joe Biden but we're going to actually see our members go out and vote for someone else. Well, who else are they going to vote for? They're going to vote for Donald Trump. So absolutely, I believe if the general election was run yesterday in the state of Michigan, Donald Trump would have prevailed. There would have been no Nikki Haley in the race. Those votes would have gone to him, and Joe Biden would have had a poor showing. Tudor, you mentioned Oakland County, and I want to just ask you, because you know the state well, um, my wife, born and raised basically in Oakland County, we got married in Birmingham. Uh, it's north of Detroit, which is Wayne County. Is Oakland County, in your mind, the number one bellwether county if you had to pick one to look at and try to assess how Trump Biden is looking going forward? In other words, if you we know as you move further north in Michigan, it gets redder. But Oakland County, highly educated, suburban county, a lot of white population, a lot of Jewish, uh, some diversity, also Arab voters. Is that the number one county you would look to to determine how this election is going to go? Well, you're going to watch two, actually. You're going to watch Oakland, which is a, a suburb of Detroit area, kind of. And you're going to watch Kent, which is Grand Rapids. So sa similar situation. You've got to watch both sides of the state. If you look at Oakland County, it's a very interesting situation that we're seeing in Oakland County right now. And that's going to be hard for Democrats because they came in and took over Oakland County with the marijuana vote. And then they came over and they took over Oakland County with the abortion vote. But those two things are now enshrined in law. 
So now they don't have those. They're trying to pull back abortion and say, oh, no, actually, it could still be an issue. They're not going to be able to win on that. It is fully protected in the state of Michigan. And we all know that Republicans are going to have to come out and say, hey, look, this is not going to be there's not going to be something federal happen because there's not going to be 60 senators that are going to say, hey, yeah, we're going to put a ban in place on abortion. Abortion is safe in the state of Michigan. Now Democrats have a problem with both Oakland and Kent because they could lose women. Women are the ones that are out there packing the lunches every day. Women are the ones driving kids to school and going off to work. They're getting gas. They're getting more gas than their husbands oftentimes because they're then also transporting them back and forth from sports. They're also buying the groceries and they're seeing a massive increase. I had a woman just before Christmas say to me, who was not a Republican, by the way, say to me, I can tell it's almost election time. And she was sheepish about it. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I can't afford the Christmas gifts I could afford last year. And I think it's time for a new president. That is a shocking admission from a woman in Michigan who is not a Republican. That's going to change the game on the ground here. Tudor, if you were to advise Donald Trump on how to win back or win as many female voters as possible in Michigan, which I'm sure would be applicable for some of the other battleground states, too. Uh, what, what would you tell them? You have to tell these women that their communities are going to be safe. We have seen too much violence in Michigan communities, too many soft on crime uh, prosecutors. We have a situation in our capital city that is out of control, and that is that can be directly linked to the shooting that we saw on Michigan State's campus. Your kids, when they go to school, they're going to be safe. Your kids, when they go to college, they're going to be safe. Your kids, when they're walking through the neighborhood, they're going to be safe. And we're not going to let a bunch of illegal immigrants come in and bring fentanyl into this state anymore or come into this state and harm people. That's the message that mothers want to hear. They want to hear that they matter, that their families are going to be safe. And there is no other, the Democrats have no opportunity whatsoever to tell women they're going to keep people safe. I mean, it's a basic of government. That is a basic function. When we think about how government should work, we're like, you know what? Police should keep us safe. Prosecutors should keep us safe. That is not basic to the Dem to the Democrats. Why are Republicans not out there telling people we just want to keep you safe? That's what we think government is. It's a fantastic question, Tudor. What do you have coming up for people who haven't sampled the podcast yet? What are they missing? What will they hear? Well, you should check out today. We have a great guy on. I've been talking a lot about the concerns I have about the amount of people that are on pharmaceutical medications in this country, the amount of young people. And this Dr. Peter Bregan came on. He actually was a, a instrumental in the Columbine case in the, the woman. I, I know you all remember the case of the young woman who texted her boyfriend until he committed suicide. Some great insight into that story and what is happening to our kids that are put on all of these antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. We just had a study come out that said that after 2020, we saw an immense increase in 12 to 18-year-old young women who were put on antidepressants and anti-anxiety drugs. And you'll hear Dr. Bregan talking about, well, that seems to coincide with an increase in suicides. What does that mean? You'll have to listen to find out, but some pretty interesting information about the pharmaceutical companies and what's going on there. You've got to tune in and listen. Tudor has four daughters. She's got her hands full. And I guarantee you, if you are a mom out there and you are listening to us, you will love her podcast. Tudor, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. 
Tudor Dixon, part of the Clay Travis Buck Sexton Podcast Network. Go check her out. Go subscribe today. You're listening to 24, the most important year in politics with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Jan 6, Trump legal scholar expert Julie Kelly is with us now. All right, Julie, I got you right out of the gate. You, uh, in the immediate aftermath of the Supreme Court taking the presidential immunity case, said that you believe this basically dooms the Jan 6th case to be able to occur before Jan, uh, before the election. I want to ask you about this. In particular, you cited that Judge Chutkin has said, hey, there, when we restart the, the calendar here, the clock, there's going to be 90 days where both sides get to prepare themselves. Question for you. Why would Judge Chutkin not toss the 90 days and say, well, because this took longer than I anticipated, now I'm putting it on an even more accelerated schedule, and we're going to start this case in August and try to get it done right in the heart of the election season. Just wondering, how would you assess the timeline in general and what she might do with that 90 days, which I think you've written about is very significant. I mean, that's a good question. I wouldn't put anything past Judge Chutkin, an Obama appointee, who is, of course, desperate to get this case to trial as well. But she has stated in a motion that she will make sure that Donald Trump and the government both have seven months to prepare for trial. Well, when she put a hold on her own immunity uh, order denying Donald Trump uh, immunity from criminal prosecution, when she handed that down in early December, a week or so later, she put an automatic hold pending the immunity appeal. And that really went through March 4th, the original trial date that has now been vacated. So that's really where the three months come from. Well, those three months be between the middle of December and up to March 4th, that's where all the juicy stuff takes place, right? That's where jury selection happens. That's where they're filing in limine motions, meaning kind of laying out what they're going to present uh, as arguments on both sides, witness lists, exhibit lists. So this takes a lot of time and a lot of back and forth and a lot of decision making by the judge, by the way. So it would be hard to see how she could really accelerate that process. You know, maybe she could shave off a week or two. Um, but even so, as we said, if the Supreme Court comes back at the end of May, which would be the soonest, I believe, and uh, upholds the lower court rulings that deny Donald Trump um, immunity from prosecution, and you add the three months, then that puts the trial at the soonest or earliest, whatever word is correct, <clears throat> the end of August. So yes, Judge Chutkin could kind of play a few games, but since she would be fighting her own words that she put in a motion, it would be tough to do. So, so Julie, thank you for being here. This whole thing is just getting so crazy. Um, I wonder if you start to have like pieces of paper all over your walls or something like uh, Nash and a beautiful mind just to keep track of all the trials because this has gone completely off the rails. There's so many trials, so many motions, so many things happening. And you're still following the J6 defendants very closely as you have been all along. And as Clay and I were discussing in the last hour, one of these Supreme Court rulings will very much affect how not only that pertains to Trump, but January 6th as well. So a lot of interconnected pieces here. At this point, what are the chances in your mind that there actually is any 
trial that happens, federal trial that happens of Trump before the election, that it, that it even starts? Well, to your point, um, and I, I had two computers open yesterday, I was working on an article previewing the hearing that's scheduled tomorrow where I will be in Southern Florida in the courtroom of Judge Aileen Cannon. She, of course, is overseeing the classified documents case. And this is getting really interesting because Jack Smith and Trump's lawyer and his two co-defendants are going back and forth about what information should remain under seal. Of course, Jack Smith wanting to keep most of the discovery evidence under seal and Donald Trump and his co-defendants wanting certain things unredacted and put on the public docket. So I'm working on this knee deep in all these motions and all of a sudden my phone starts pinging uh, with the decision by the Supreme Court. So I kind of pivoted to that. Luckily, I know that, you know, like the back of my hand, the whole timeline. So posted an article on Declassified with Julie Kelly. People really want to know the timeline there. So it's it's getting slimmer and slimmer chance that the D.C. trial will take place. And that is why, Clayne Buck, you see the outrage on the left, MSNBC, CNN. They knew that Donald Trump would be swiftly convicted in Washington, D.C. on four very vague counts um, by a jury made up of 92% of residents who voted for Joe Biden. The Department of Justice has a 100%, 100% conviction rate. In January, six trials, now two years of trials, more than 100 trials, not a single January 6th defendant has walked out of a D.C. courtroom fully acquitted by a jury. Now they've acquitted some counts, but not one single January 6th defendant. Are you telling me that Donald Trump would be the first one? Of course not. So that's what they're so upset about. This would be an easy conviction that they could use against Donald Trump, pull voters away from him as polls show. Now the flip side, and I can get back to you guys tomorrow too, or whenever I will be in the courthouse, I will be reporting on Twitter live. Um, what happens there? What happened if what happens if Judge Cannon comes back and says, okay, we're settling a lot of these litigation matters, et cetera. I'm going to set the trial that was now for May 20th. I'm going to push that off till July. You are going to see the quickest case of whiplash that you've ever seen because the same people now uh, caterwauling about the fact that there won't be a D.C. trial. Um, all of a sudden, you're going to see a different tone because they don't want the classified documents case to go to trial. It is the weakest of the two. It will be the toughest for DOJ to prove in a jurisdiction that is far more friendlier to Donald Trump than Washington, D.C., and a judge who has been very tough on DOJ, not acting as the rubber stamp like Judge Tanya Chutkin. So it would be fascinating to see the reaction from these very same people if Judge Cannon sets a new trial date, um, certainly not tomorrow, but within the next few weeks. Okay, so as you see it, you've been great on this. You've been coming on with us for a couple of years, laying all this out. Mm -hmm. You would, if you were betting right now, Julie, bet only on the Alvin Bragg case, that is the New York City misdemeanor elevated to a felony bookkeeping and business charges, as the only one that is going to go to trial and have any kind <laughs> of result before Election Day itself. I mean, that's certainly what it looks like right now. Not yeah. only what's happening in DOJ in the two, but certainly what's happening in Fulton County, where I really think most people thought that would be um, the easiest win. And that, of course, is falling apart amid all the scandal uh, and what's happening with Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade and, and the entire cabal that she put together. 
So it could be that Alvin Bragg gets the first bite of the apple, which of course no one wanted. Um, you know, the DC trial was supposed to start this Monday. I mean, think of what Washington DC was supposed to look like. I mean, pop overpopulated, overrun with journalists from around the uh, country and the, around the world, uh, preparing for this history making trial. And instead now we've got a hearing tomorrow, which will be interesting, but now they're stuck with the Alvin Bragg, uh, prosecution. So this was not what Democrats, never Trump Republicans, and certainly the corporate media had in mind when they were looking at 2024 and Donald Trump's legal problems. Speaking of Julie Kelly, her substack is declassified if you want a weekly update and deep dive into all of these matters. Uh, Julie, I know you're not uh, somebody who gets far ahead of what has already happened, right? We're not in the prediction business, but uh, and we're also not in the mind reading business. From what you can see, though, based on the realities of the judicial mechanisms at play here for the various cases, do you think the Democrats, notably Jack Smith and others, are feeling not just heat, but a bit of panic at how the schedules here are likely to play out? Or is there something that we're missing? I keep looking for the thing that's going to hit us that we don't see yet. Right. No, I think that's a very good question. Um, so we can't trust the system. We can't certainly trust DOJ or even most of these judges. So I think that's a really good question. Well, what could jump out next? What could happen? Um, I'm not really sure with Jack Smith and, and you're starting to see some criticism of Jack Smith and Merrick Garland for waiting until August of 2023 to bring the J6 indictment. Um, certainly the indictment in classified documents was June and then a superseding in indictment in July of 2023, knowing that all of these unprecedented matters were going to have to be hashed out and ultimately resolved at the Supreme Court. So I don't know what he does next. Does he bring a superseding indictment? Can he? I'm not sure that he can with the proceedings on hold in Washington. Um, look, there's rumblings, and this is in the court motions, that there was a third FBI investigation into Donald Trump. We don't know what that was about, um, but, but Jack Smith has asked in the classified documents case to keep that the details in the name of that FBI invest investigation under seal. Judge Cannon has said no, because to my knowledge, the investigation's over and we need to publish that information. The public has a right to know. So is there another investigation we still don't know about? So look, this is always filled with surprises, as you noted. So is there something else on the horizon? Will they go to any extreme to salvage these cases? Absolutely. Will Judge Chuck can go along with it? Absolutely. So it, to your point, it's hard to predict, but um, the only prediction is you you can't predict what's going to happen because every day is something new. Last question for you, Julie, because the way you lay this out, I'm now looking at if Alvin Bragg is the only guy who gets to bring a case. I'm wondering if they're just going to go absolutely bonkers on that case and try to put Trump in jail or in prison because they know there's not any federal or Atlanta case that is going to come next. And so in the same way that they've hit him with a $450 million fine and $88 million or whatever it is in E. Jean Carroll, why do we think they're not going to try to put him in prison on this ridiculous bookkeeping charge that they've brought? To me, that would be the sign of desperation. Just do the absolute maximum that you could to him there to try to get the pound of flesh. They definitely could. But look, that is not going to satisfy the Democrats. They wanted the January 6th conviction. 
They wanted the insurrection narrative with a judicial and a jury imprimatur on it because we see all of the mileage that they're getting out of the alleged insurrection, even though Donald Trump is not charged with insurrection for January 6th in the indictment. And half of those counts, to your point, are at risk by the Supreme Court uh, in the 1512C2 obstruction of an official proceeding case that the Supreme Court is now reviewing. They wanted the insurrection alleged uh, insurrection conviction, because not only could they use that against Trump, that he cannot hold office regardless of what happens in the Colorado Supreme uh, Court case, which will be reversed by the U.S. Supreme Court. They wanted to use that against any Republican involved in the events of January 6th, attempting to vet the results of the Electoral College, anyone who signed up senator or, or House member who is going to challenge those votes on January 6th, they want to apply that insurrection label to them. They've already tried to. But if he had a conviction in Washington, they would have much more leverage to do so. And I think that that is part of their pain. If you could get in conviction, some jail time with Alvin Bragg, okay. But it doesn't support their overall narrative that they've had since January 6th, more than three, three years now, um, that Donald Trump, his associates, supportive members of Congress, and certainly his voters are all terrorists who tried to overthrow the government on January 6th to keep Donald Trump in power. Julie, Julie keep up the fantastic work. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk to you again because who knows what's next. But uh, but man, <laughs> it's going to be interesting. I have a feeling there will be Trump legal news between now and the election. So we will be discussing yes. with Julie. Julie, thanks so much. Check out Declassified <laughs> on Substack, everyone. That's how you can support Julie's work and stay very up to speed on all this. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to the Towers Foundation has been committed to supporting our nation's first responders and veterans, heroes who put their lives on the line for our communities and our country, heroes like U.S. Army Major Jonathan Turnbull. He sustained devastating injuries at the hands of an ISIS suicide bomber, the complete loss of his left eye, a puncture to his right eye, and he needed more than 20 surgeries and countless hours of rehabilitation. Tunnel to Towers paid off his mortgage and gave Major Turnbull a specially adapted smart home designed for his needs. He moves around his home more easily now. His home also gives him hope. With help from people like you, the foundation supports families like the Turnbulls. Join Tunnel to Towers in supporting America's heroes, our nation's severely injured veterans and first responders, homeless veterans, Gold Star families, and the families of fallen first responders. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 95 cents of every dollar goes directly to their programs. There is a great evil taking place in our society. Since 1973, over 64 million babies' lives have been taken. Preborn is dedicated to saving these precious lives. And every day, the staff members at Preborn Clinics rescue 200 babies and help women in crisis by sharing light, love, and a free ultrasound. That changed my life, just from that ultrasound picture. You see, when an expectant mother meets her precious baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, she is twice as likely to choose life for her baby. Would you join me and Preborn in rescuing babies' lives? One ultrasound is just $28, and for $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds helping to rescue five babies' lives. To donate securely, use your cell phone and dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 saying baby or go to preborn.com slash buck. That's preborn.com slash buck. You will never regret saving a baby's life. Visit preborn.com slash buck, sponsored by Preborn.
Why are people still on the fence about owning gold and silver? I just don't understand. Have we already forgotten about regional bank closures, inflation, global instability, and the potential for serious world conflicts? You can look to precious metals for various reasons. One, having tangible currency on hand as part of your bug-out plan. Two, diversifying your portfolio as a hedge against inflation. And three, historically, gold increases in value over time. You keep yourself informed about global events. You see the increase in conflicts around the globe. Countries are buying and hoarding massive amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with the Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our head in the sand either. The people with Oxford Gold Group are real pros. They make owning gold and silver simple and easy to understand. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. One more time, 833-995-G-O-L-D. You're listening to 24, the year of impact with Clay and Buck. We got our friend Stephen Miller in the mix right now. He is the founder and president of America First Legal, a former senior advisor to President Trump on many issues, but specifically thought of as the architect of Trump border policies, something that perhaps he might have to uh, resurrect as a uh, thing that he's spending time on. Stephen, appreciate you being here. Um now, we got two different presidents at the border. Biden and the Democrats are now pretending that they care about the border. What is your first reaction when you see Biden slowly fumbling and stumbling around down there? Well, I mean, aside from the fact that just the visuals were terrible, Joe Biden looked more confused and aimless than usual, just completely lost out there. So that obviously was a bad visual for the White House. Substantively, though, you have to appreciate the brazenness of the Democrat Party, which has spent, if we start the clock in 2016, which has spent eight years single-mindedly devoted to the proposition of no illegal alien left behind. Eight years of our national life was don't build the wall. Donald Trump's a racist. There are no such thing as criminal aliens. They're just people coming for a better life. We should let them all in. They're the real Americans. They're the best Americans. They're dreamers. Our kids are trash. The real heroes are illegal aliens. Eight years of this. Eight years. They fought Donald Trump on every single deportation policy. They tried to insert poison pills in every single spending bill to make it harder to secure the border. They tore their garments, they ripped out their hair, they screamed bloody murder, they sent AOC to the border, they made up all this bull about kids in cages and everything else. And then Joe Biden comes in, and he's like, we're getting rid of all these policies. We're opening the border. Serves the border. No one's going to jail. No one's being arrested. Everybody gets a judge. An immigration judge for everybody. Billion poor people in the world, you all get an immigration judge. Everybody can come here. No one's being deported. We're going to pause deportations. We're going to shut down ICE. We're going to stop building the wall. Eight years of this. Eight straight years of it. Then somebody someone walks in the White House and said, oh, we're getting some uh, pretty bad poll numbers here on the whole invasion thing. They're like, oh, let's just tell everyone we totally love border security. In the history of rhetorical pivots, there's no policy pivot, mind you. In the history of rhetorical pivots, this would be like 
Jeffrey Dahmer coming out and saying, I've given it a thought, and I think that serial killing is super awful. I mean, that's where, that's where this is in terms of the, uh, the degree and level of insanity in trying to convince the American people uh, that the Democrat Party has positive feelings about border security. So hopefully Steven, that, that gives you a sense of how I feel about it. No doubt. That's perfect. Stephen, do you think Lake and Riley would still be alive if Donald Trump was president of the United States? Absolutely. She would be with her family right now. She'd be with her friends right now. She'd be pursuing her dream of being a nursing student and, and helping thousands of people uh, in that career and profession, making our country and our world an immeasurably better place. The odds that she would be alive today if Donald Trump was in the White House are 100%. Not 99.999%. 100 And I know this because we would never in any universe, any universe, have been releasing fighting age men into the country. And in fact, in the case of Venezuela, we worked very hard to force Venezuela and did so successfully to take back all of their nationals. So before there was actually a big public awareness about the crime threat from Venezuela, so back in 2020, remember, because I, I worked on this, before there was a lot of public awareness about the crime threat, and most of the conversation about Venezuela was in the context of socialism and uh, the state of the economy in Venezuela. Uh, we were working night and day to make sure all the Venezuelans were going home, because we knew if we got out, the Venezuelans were going to go home, that they would start coming in enormous numbers because of the state of the economy there. And, of course, criminals and fugitives and predators would take advantage of that. So we were very hard to keep things perfectly buttoned up with Venezuela. And that's why you didn't hear one damn word about Venezuelan migrant criminals during the entire Trump presidency because none of them got into the country. Stephen Miller with us now of America First Legal. Stephen, some of the critics of President Trump on the border, uh, particularly you'll hear this from people on the right, will say, um, and they'll say this in response to a number of things, the wall, deportations, why didn't he do it the first time? What do you say to people when that is their criticism of Trump when he brings up what he wants to do now when it comes to the border and securing it? Well, it was just factually untrue. I mean, it just predicated on a completely false understanding of the heroic achievements of those four years. So, I mean, just take a few specific points here. The, uh, during the course of the Trump administration, 500 miles of new wall were built. And I know there's this ludicrous talking point out there. It's like, oh, barrier was where barrier was before. There are high traffic locations where there was vehicle barriers, for example, which are just a, a post in the road, like vehicle barrier, right? In other words, you can't drive a car through it, right? Or there was dilapidated tinfoil lying on the ground, high traffic, high priority areas where we put in the most effective and powerful wall system in American history, 500 miles of it, which involved having to condemn land, having to fight landowners to get control of land when they wouldn't give it up, having to fight every environmental group, every radical lefty, having to fight the ACLU, having to fight Congress. We got up 500 miles of wall. By the time 2020, that thing was just rolling along. It was humming. It was like a boulder downhill. I mean, we were, we were adding it at an astonishing clip and, and pace. 
With respect to just the overall immigration picture, keep in mind, we came into office in 2017. Nobody knew anything about Remain in Mexico. Nobody knew anything about uh, safe third agreements. Nobody knew anything about this term here, 212F, travel bans. Right? Every single thing that Donald Trump did was unprecedented in American history. Never been tried, let alone done before. Title 42, if I had told you in 2016 that we were going to develop a system legally, operationally, diplomatically to have an instant expulsion program where you have no right to apply for asylum, no right to request relief, no right to see an immigration judge, no right to anything, just hello, see you later, goodbye. If I told you that, you would have said that's an impossible dream. That's a fever dream, Stephen. You're living in a fantasy world. That's crazy talk. That's the kind of talk that belongs in an insane asylum. That'll never happen in the real world. And we freaking did it, and we did it perfectly. In fact, we did it so well that in 2020, there were zero, zero discretionary releases into the United States. You know, there's always the case that there's a medical emergency. You know, somebody has to uh, get emergency hospital care, something like that. But there was zero discretionary releases. Every single person that Border Patrol or CBP laid their hands on was placed into detention and removed. That had never been achieved before. Not during the Bush administration, not during the Clinton administration, not during the Reagan administration, certainly not during the Obama administration. We were talking about things that are unheard of before in American history. It used to be, my last point is it used to be that all Border Patrol would do was they would deport single adults from Mexico. That's what they did. And when they got some exotic nationality or a family they didn't know what to do with, right, they would oftentimes be released, which is why by the time we came into office, you saw more and more people from faraway lands and more and more people smuggling children and everything else like that. And we fixed it all. We buttoned it up. And we marched through hell to get it done. We spent four years fighting every single enemy of border security in this country, and we beat them like a drum, and we got it done. And all Joe Biden had to do was keep the status quo. But, of course, he didn't do that because the Democrat Party is committed to the proposition of unlimited migration. Stephen, you mentioned how Biden looked. Let's leave aside the disaster that actually exists at the border. But we started off the show today talking about the fact that I watched that video of him walking on the trail and I felt like he needed a walker. I mean, it was sad to watch. Uh, I mean, the guy, he, he couldn't move his arms like everything was out of sorts with something as simple as walking on a trail. Is he actually going to run? Do, do, I mean, you, you know the, the, what it takes to be involved in running the country, how much energy it takes, regardless of the politics. When you see Joe Biden, do you actually think that they're going to have him on the ballot in November? I still do, although I recognize yes. that I'm probably in a minority. You and Buck are like the only people, by the way. Sorry to cut you off. Us us incredibly wise and thoughtful people see where this is going. So just don't let anyone tell you you're alone because you and I are at the top of this mountain of wisdom. So explain why you think that is. Uh, Just kind of lay out your argument. Well, I mean, there's just the practical fact that, uh, that Joe Biden clearly, as you saw from his angry press conference, is absolutely determined personally at a personal level to cling to power. I mean, watching him yell and shout at Ducey and everybody else uh, at the press conference the day after the her special counsel report came out, it's clear that he desperately wants to cling to power, number one. 
Number two is the vice president problem, Kamala Harris. The, um, she would have to agree to bow out and not say they could actually have a primary battle between, say, her and Gavin Newsom. She would have to be persuaded, convinced, shown poll numbers to say, you will be the first vice president in recent history to be the heir apparent and just to voluntarily bow out, even though there's no particular thing other than your unpopularity pushing you aside. So both of those events would have to happen. They have to happen uh, by this summer. And then there's also just the practical matter of, with the, the last practical point on this, is that um, very hard to remove Biden from all these state ballots and everything else. So it has to be done uh, most likely at a convention. And it's a very difficult thing to have a situation with the Democratic Party right now, with all of its fissures and all of its fractions, to have people just crowning a nominee with no Democratic process behind it whatsoever. So I think for all those reasons, barring a medical emergency, which is quite possible, let's be clear, it's eminently possible, uh, I see him staying on the ballot. Stephen Miller's a very smart man, Clay, as we, <laughs> as we all know. He's very wise, very astute. Uh, America First Legal, Stephen Miller's outfit doing great work. Stephen, appreciate you being with us. We'll talk to you again soon about the border and other things. And when, when Biden is clearly the nominee, you and I will do a little high five on the air. So thank yes, you. Yes, and also we need to get that next season of Cobra Kai going. So that'll Yeah, be I was going to ask too. you, do you have any? I can't wait for the next season. I was talking about that with my kids the other day. Do you have any TV or movie recommendations? Any, anything you've seen? I know you're a, you're a pop culture guy, which is going to stun people because they're like, they think of you as like Nosferatu out there. <laughs> that, um, that is very true. <laughs> Well, the, um, I've actually been going back recently and watching old episodes of Magnum P.I. Oh, oh yeah, Classic. It was once America. And so if you want to feel really great about how just cool, totally awesome and amazing America is, just inject the Magnum P.I. into your veins, and then I'll give you the boost that you need. I'm That's with awesome. Him. Well done. Well done. Thank you, Stephen. And now we'll know if Stephen shows up with a Magnum P.I. mustache. You know, not, not, not surprising. <laughs> that would actually be incredible. Yeah, it should be a good look. It'd be a good look. You're listening to 24, the most important year in politics with Clay Travis and Buck Sexton. Born on America's darkest day of 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been helping America's heroes ever since. When a first responder or military service member doesn't come home and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays the mortgage on the family home to lift the financial burden. For severely injured veterans and first responders, Tunnel to Towers builds mortgage-free smart homes, enabling severely injured heroes to move around their homes more independently. Through the Foundation's Homeless Veteran Program, Tunnel to Towers is providing housing and services to homeless veterans. More than 3,300 were helped last year alone. Because all veterans who honorably served, whether in peacetime or war, deserve our nation's gratitude. People who put their lives on the line for our country and our communities need your help now more than ever. Join Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good and never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of this country's heroes. Donate $11 a month at T2T.org. That's T2T.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart.
If you've got a military, first responder, emergency medical, or government service background, GovX.com is for you. You stepped up to serve our country and communities, and GovX delivers unbeatable deals that you've earned. GovX.com is the only site built exclusively to honor your service. Members save on epic brands and the gear they need for their on- and off-duty lives. You'll get incredible savings on tickets to live sports events, theme parks, and other entertainment. You can even save on travel, hotels, rental cars, cruises, and more. See if you qualify. Visit GovX.com. It's easy and totally free. Use code BUCK in the shopping cart to get an extra $15 off your first order. GovX, savings for those who serve. 